Isn't it a privilege to be in the house of the Lord this morning and worshipping and joining together? <clears throat> and uh, more often you get here, the more you enjoy it. How will we stick heaven after a thousand years? The first day or two will be an exciting thing, but you know, whenever we're there a thousand years, it'll be. Well, I was going to say something outside this world, but it will be. However, it's lovely to see you here, to see the decorations in the hall, and to see the fruit and the vegetables and all the rest sitting around the windows and so on. It just rejoices our heart to think that the Lord has been good for another wonderful year and providing for us in many ways. Let's bow our heads together for a word of prayer before we turn to God's word. Heavenly Father, we praise you for the wonderful privilege of just coming here to praise and to worship and to magnify the King. Lord, we're not magnifying a trump from the hillsides of Calvary. And we're not magnifying some uh, magic man going around the country. We're here, Lord, to magnify the King of kings, the mighty Lord of lords, the King of all ages. The one who way back in years gone by said, let there be light, and it was light. And he's still the same God as there is today. Lord, we come here today just to have that time of meeting again with the presence of God. So, Lord, as we open thy word and as we turn to thy word, Lord, we can't understand it unless you open our ears. And we can't take it in unless you open our hearts. And Lord, we would pray you would work with each one of us like the way you worked with Lydia when you opened her heart. And Lord, in some amazing way, you'll help us to understand what the Lord would have to say to us in the way that the Lord would mean it. And Lord, that it'll be to your glory today. So Lord, take every word that we say. Take every thought that passes through our mind. Lord, may the sun just shine on the things, Lord. Like the way it shone on the old Jew on the hillsides. Lord, in a few moments may it be gone forever. May our troubles be gone and our heartaches be gone. And Lord, when we know the freshness of the Jew from heaven. So Lord, just touch us today as we turn to thy word. Make it real in this gathering. We praise you, Lord, we're under the blood. We praise you, Lord, we have the spirit to help us. Lord, we're not on our own. So touch us today as we turn to thy word. And bless us, Lord, those here may be with us that doesn't know Christ as their own personal Savior. Lord, we pray that you'll open our hearts and make them, make them realize from the depths of their souls that they can be saved this morning. They can turn from sin to heaven. They can turn from darkness to light. They can be redeemed before this service is over. Lord, we praise you, you're still saving souls. And Lord, if there's those here with pains and aches, and things that bother them and things that worry them. Lord, may it evaporate from their minds today under the anointing of the Spirit of God. And Lord, may there be deliverance today in Jesus' name for souls in this place. So Lord, may the outcome of this meeting be to your glory. Lord, may everything we do be to your praise. And Lord, if it's not, get us out of the road, Lord, and you take over. Lord, glorify your name today, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Could we turn to Genesis chapter 47? Genesis chapter 47 for a few verses. <clears throat> we'll begin reading at verse 11 in chapter 47 of Genesis. 
You all know the story. It was the time that Jacob made his way down to Egypt to buy that bread and that grain because of famine in the land of Canaan. We break into the story in chapter 47 and verse 11. (coughs) And Joseph placed his father and his brethren and gave them possession in the land of Egypt. In the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph nourished his father. Isn't that a wonderful little phrase there? Joseph nourished his father. And his brethren and all his father's household with bread according to their families. There was no bread in all the land, for the famine was very sore, so that the land of Egypt and all the land of Canaan fainted by reason of famine. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan for the corn which they bought. Uh, And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. So in other words, the people who needed bread brought money and they bought the the grain and and, and they gathered up the food. And they brought the money to start with in verse 14. And when the money failed in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, All the Egyptians came unto Joseph and said, Give us bread, for why should we die in thy presence? For the money's faileth, no more money. And Joseph said unto them, Give your cattle, and I will give you for your cattle, if the money fails. And they brought their cattle unto Joseph, and Joseph gave them bread in exchange for horses, and for flocks, and for cattle, and for herds, and for asses. And he fed them with bread for all their uh, cattle for that year. And when that year was ended, they came unto him the second year and said unto him, We will not hide it from thee, my Lord, how that our money is spent. My Lord also hath our herds and cattle. There is not naught left in the sight of my Lord, but our bodies and our lands. Wherefore shall we die before thine eyes? Both we and our land, by us and our land, for bread and We and our land will be your servants unto Pharaoh, and give us seed that we may live and not die, that the land be not desolate. And Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, and the Egyptians sold every man his field, because the famine prevailed over them, so the land became Pharaoh's. And as the people, and as for the people, he removed them from the cities and from one end of the borders, of Egypt, even unto the other end thereof. Only the land of priests bought he not, for the priests had a portion assigned to them of Pharaoh, and he did not eat their portion which Pharaoh gave them, wherefore they sold not their lands. Then Joseph said unto his people, Behold, I have bought you this day and your land for Pharaoh. Lo, here is seed for you, and ye shall sow the land, and it shall come to pass that the, the, it shall come to pass in the increase that ye shall give the fifth part of Tontaferro, and four parts shall be your own, the seed of the field for your food, and for them of your household, and food for your little ones. And they said, Thou hast saved our lives. What a wonderful comment! 
to come out with. He has saved our lives. We'll end there at verse 25. <clears throat> Jacob and his family was living in the land of Canaan. They had been there for many years. All was going well. <clears throat> many years had passed since Joseph was sold as a slave to Egypt. And yet with all in the back of old Jacob's mind, he was probably thinking every day, where's Joseph? Is he really dead? Is he gone? And although time had passed and years had gone, and he probably had got used with the idea that there was no Joseph there, in the back of his mind, he was still wondering time to time, where's Joseph? And you know, we have to get into our head how big this man Jacob was. If we went to Genesis chapter 32, you don't need to turn to it. But you can read about a present that this man prepared for Esau. Now, if anybody would have come to me with a present like this, I would have completely and utterly chased them. What you would have done with a present like this, where you would have put a present like this, I don't know what you'd have done. Imagine somebody coming to you with 220 goats and says, there's a wee present for you. There wouldn't have been a hedge in the country. wouldn't have been stripped. There wouldn't have been a hole in the country. There wouldn't have been an out through. And he lands to Joseph 220 goats. I don't know what you'd have done with them. And then he put an hour 220 sheep on the top of it. Well, the goats made the hole and the sheep's run through them. And then he got 30 camels. Well, that must have been to run after the sheep and the goats whenever they got out. And you know, whenever we think of all these things that he brought, it lets you see that was the gift he was given. Now, if you were given somebody 220 goats and 220 sheep and 30 camels, you must have, of course, as a stock to start off with. Because that wasn't the end of a stock. He's still a farmyard left. <clears throat> Let you see the size old Jacob was. <clears throat> Probably took the whole ten, ten brothers and lost more to look after them. But you know, mighty and all as Jacob was, <clears throat> big farmer and all that he was, all that he had, his possessions was there, his animals was there, his stock was there, his farm was there, if you want to call it that. All those things was there. Famine hit him and he was just like the beggar in the street. And after the famine came and the, and the crops started, wasn't growing, he was just as starving as the tramp on the footpath. There was no difference to the rich and the poor. There was no difference to those who had and those who hadn't. There was famine and everybody was starving. <clears throat> you know, it's amazing whenever we get onto the platform along that God has set for us. There's not much difference in us all. The rich man and the poor man is on the same platform with God. The man who has and the man who hasn't we're all level with God. The man who has his big fancy house and all to do with his, his big fancy job and his riches is only a pauper in the size of God like all the others. <clears throat> and when the famine comes and strikes you, you just go like the others. They had wealth and they had prosperity. They had all that they could satisfy. But they had to admit for a short time I'm starving. I'm starving. I need food. 
Maybe you're here this morning and you have everything you need. Maybe you're here this morning, you have a nice wee house or a big house and you have a nice job and everything's going well. Is your soul satisfied with God? You can have all that this old world wants to give you. You can have all that this old world can foster up for you. And yet with all, you can be hungry in the sight of God. Friend, tonight can I ask you this morning, are you satisfied with God? Are you satisfied with God? Life for you is going well. Jobs is secure. Everything's within your grasp. Your family's wonderful, settled, everything else. But are you in a famine with God? Where are you with God? <clears throat> you know, Jacob had all the needs, had all his needs, all that this world could supply. But whenever eternity and death stirred him in the eyes, he had nothing. He couldn't sell 220 sheep and send them on to the Lord and say, give me an hour fortnight. He couldn't get his camels out and say, Lord, there's now 30 camels, give me another week or two. No, whenever famine came, and whenever he was starving, he was on the same platform as them all. People, let me tell you this morning, we're all going to stand before God. Not one of us is going to miss it. And we'll have that appointment with God and we'll all give an account to God for what we are doing. And there's nothing in this world will ever be able to avoid us standing there before God. Your riches, what you have, what you've done, you'll stand before God. And the famine will come someday to your heart and you'll just die like all the others. And you'll be called to stand before God. And you'll just have to say, Lord, feed me. Give me seed. You know... It says Jacob learned that there was corn in Egypt in chapter 42. Chapter 42 and verse 2 we read that he said to his sons, Go down and buy food that we may live and not die. Friend, if you want to live, you have to get to the cross. If you want to live, you needn't dabble in the things of this world. And you didn't go to churches. And you didn't come to this church. And you didn't go through rituals in church. If you're going to get something that's going to get you living in heaven, you need Christ. So many people turn. I talked to a wee woman not so long ago. She was away in her 90s. And she'd sat in a church all her life. She took communion. She was giving money into her church and everything else. And at 95 or 5 years of age, she says, But I'm not saved. And how many people go through this old world, sitting in churches, depending on churches, looking at rituals of churches, and they're fulfilling all the rituals of churches, and that's wonderful. But they haven't got Christ. They're still starving for the things that really matter from heaven. Are you here tonight like that? <clears throat> oh, you think church is wonderful. It's not half as good as Christ. You don't need rituals. You need a redeemer. You don't need communion. You need Christ. There's none but Christ can satisfy. And if you're here this morning, you're not saved. 
and you never have come to that place of taking Christ as your Savior, maybe this is your day. Why would your day be tomorrow? I don't know. Why would your day be in a week's time? I don't know. You can't boast of tomorrow, and neither can I. Today is the accepted time, and there's no more times with God. Jacob said to his brothers, Go down and buy. Go down and buy. (coughs) That first verse that we read together, it said, Joseph nourished his father and his brethren. 47 and verse 12. And he nourished his father and he nourished his brethren. And he nourished his father's house. And he nourished the family. Now that's an interesting verse. And you could read that like a fairy tale in a storybook and you could fly over it and think very little about it. But I want you to get the meaning of that verse. There was no point in Jacob going down to, to Egypt and getting nobody fed, only Jacob. Because what would have happened to the rest of them? He went down to Egypt, and they didn't only feed Jacob, they fed the the house, they fed the children, they fed the stock, they fed it all. Man, I'm telling you, if you take Christ today in your heart, you'll feed your family with spiritual things. It'll rub off on the others. And if you don't get the feeding, it's not going to rub off on the others. Fathers, we need to take our children to where the food is. Parents, we need to take our children to where there's a supply for things to come. Not a supply for our own notions. Not a supply for the things we like. Not a supply that will keep us happy. But a supply that will sort it out future generations. They went on to Egypt. <clears throat> Joseph nourished his father. You see, they were living beside the provider's household. Believer, are you living beside the provider's household? Quite a lot of believers living a whole lot far away from it. Quite a lot of believers and they have to go for a long journey to get back to the cross. But Jacob went down and he took up a position close to the provisions of God. Brother and sister, today I would plead with you, live close to God. Standing somewhere in the shadows, you can always find them. Just a step away from the master, live close with God. Living beside the Savior, living beside the storehouses. Psalmist could say in Psalm chapter 5 and verse 3, My voice shall thou hear in the morning. That's how close he was to the storehouses. In Psalm 55 and 17, he said, Evening and morning will I pray close to the storehouses. Psalm 143, verse 8, he says, Cause me to hear thy loving kindness in the morning, living close to the storehouses of the great provider. Where are you living? Are you living where the manor falls? Are you living where the quails brew in in the evening? Are you living in the land where there's starving and famines? 
Where are you living with God? Receiving daily touches from God? <clears throat> There's something else about this verse that I would think it's interesting to note. The famine continued for seven years. Now, I think you would be the same as me, or maybe nobody could be the same as me, but if you start doing something, and you do it for seven years, and you keep doing it for seven years, you know, the reality is you get into a ritual. There's no way out of that. If you do it often enough, it's a ritual. I don't know how you would stop getting into a ritual, but you would get into a ritual. And the famine continued for many years. And every year as it came to pass, we read there in those verses, in verse 14, they came and they brought the money and they got the, the, the food for the money. Another year later then, they came and they brought the cattle and they got the food for the cattle. And in verse 19 of where we read, they brought themselves and they brought their land and they got the provision for the land. And you know, it's interesting. When the people were serious about getting food, it took all their had to be left at the food store. They couldn't come and get all the food and keep the money. And they couldn't come and get the food and keep the cattle. And they couldn't come and keep the food and keep the ground. They had to bring all the had. If you want to get the best for God, you need to give them all. You'll never get the best of God and keep the half of it for yourself. All to Jesus I surrender. Are you looking to go on with God? You'll only go on with God when it's all on the altar. Are you looking to go places with God and the movement of God in your heart and your life and you're looking to see something for God? Well then give them all. Cast your bread upon the water and Jesus' time it'll come back again. Don't cast your bread upon the water and not come back. You have to sow before you reap. Have you got it? <clears throat> I hope you're giving everything to God. If you want to take my business, take it, Lord. If you want to take my job, you take it, Lord. Take whatever you need to take, but give me the best for God. I'd rather have Jesus than anything that this world can give today. Where are you with God? <clears throat> you know, if God passed, walked past your door today, would you give him everything to get the food from heaven? You know, as I was pondering this in my mind, I asked myself some stupid questions. But then you know me. Did you ever sit out and think, who was it that filled the storehouses in Egypt? Now, let's get this straight. Them boys didn't have 40-foot lorries and big articulated trailers. They didn't have combine harvesters cutting grain coming out of them like a real river coming out of the spouts and the tail. They had run about with maybe a donkey and a church or maybe a good big wheelbarrow. Along with it, they took them and fell in the storehouses with a wheelbarrow that was going to save a whole nation for... <clears throat> you see, the reality was they didn't fill the storehouses. And the reality is Joseph didn't fill the storehouses. Because the reality is God says to Joseph, 
there's going to be seven years of plenty and there's going to be seven years of famine. It was God decided to fill the storehouses. God says there's going to be seven years of plenty. That would fill the storehouses. God filled the storehouses. I'll tell you something. Sinners was in desperate need for a saviour. Whole dark and blackened hearts of sin was in need for a cleansing. There was many people bound in chains and they needed deliverance. And they were chained and everything else. Calvary filled the storehouses to set you free. Christ filled the storehouses. Moses, or Joseph couldn't have filled them. Sure, he probably only had a house and a bit of a garden. The Lord says, I'll fill them. And there's not a need that you have today that the Savior hasn't fully met in Calvary. He filled the storehouses of God's mercy on that old rugged cross. He filled the storehouses to satisfy your need on Mount Calvary. There's nothing you need today. There's nothing you'll ever need that you can't find from the storehouses of glory. Every need his hand supplying. Morning, evening, and noon, he supplies my need. The manna come in every morning. The quails come in every evening. Where did they come from? I haven't a clue in the wide world, but God made sure they were there. And he filled the storehouses that will satisfy your need on that old rugged cross. God said it would happen. And God said the time it would happen. He told them how many years it would happen. He gave them a good warning it was going to happen. And he gave them instructions what to do when it was happening. Make sure you're ready for it. And you know, whenever God gives things like this, there's nothing in this world can stop it. If God says there's going to be seven years of plenty, there's going to be seven years of plenty. And if he says there's going to be seven years of famine, there's going to be seven years of famine. Nothing can stop whenever God gives the promise. What a mighty Savior we have. What a wonderful God. And there's nothing will ever change the plans of God. You know, God planned Calvary. Nothing could ever have stopped it. Isn't that amazing? In the Garden of Eden... Adam and Eve was there in the garden. And the Lord said to them, The hail of the woman shall bruise the serpent's head. That was the promise of the Savior. Away back in the garden of Eden, God promised that it was coming. There was nothing would ever stop it. Didn't he tell others? He said to Abram one day, as he put his son on the altar, he said God would provide himself a lamb. And there's nothing will ever stop it. Didn't he say to Isaiah about one who was wounded and bruised and broken for you and for me. Our chastisement was laid upon him with his stripes we are healed. God promised it. God assured it. God said it. It's coming. And there's nothing would ever have stopped Calvary. Isn't it amazing to think that Christ can save sinners and there's nothing in this world will ever stop him saving sinners as long as the sinner comes to Jesus. What a saviour. We have a wonderful saviour. I hope you know him. hope you're walking with him. Wonderful promises. God filled the storehouses at Calvary with mercy. 
He filled the fountain with blood. He filled that reservoir of forgiveness. He filled it with all the blessings you need. Friend, you're a fool if you don't come and take them. You know, something... I think... There's a comment or two in this, and I suppose I could have preached the sermon on this two or three words. I'll get the rest of the sermon in the next bit of time, I don't know, but there was these two or three words lit up to me in this verse. And they're just wonderful words. Verse 23 says, And Joseph said unto the people, Behold, I have bought you this day and your land for Pharaoh. And listen, here is the seed. You go and sow it. Here is the seed. You go and sow it. What was he saying? He's saying, I'm not sowing it for you. I'm saying, I'm giving it to you. You go and sow it. I'm not going to carry it to you. I'm not going to put it on the plate for you. I'm not going to boil it and heat it and set it up like a dinner for you. There's the seed. You go and use it. That might seem a bit of a strange text for a sermon. But you know, it's the instructions that Joseph gave to those people who were starving. Shame on the person who gets the seed of this old book. And doesn't sow it. Shame on the Christian who knows their Savior and is afraid to tell the world about it. Shame on those who knows the power of the Spirit of God and is afraid to let others see it. You've got the seed. Make sure you sow it. Luke chapter 8 and verse 11 says the seed is the word of God. 1 Peter 1 and 23. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. Friend, you've got the seed. Make sure you sow it. Believer, you've got the seed. Is it for you? You know, whenever you start boiling this phrase or two down, you know, there's things we can say about it. You've got the seed. You've got the sword. Some will bring forth twentyfold. Some will bring forth hundredfold. But you're the witnesses unto Christ. You sow it. If you don't sow it, the world will never see him. You have the seed, sow it. And you know, if you look up in the original, what that word sow means, you know, I'm a bit thick. Whenever I went to school, I could pass absolutely nothing. Couldn't even spell. So whenever I come to big words like sow, I have to look them up to see if they mean. (coughs) And I looked it up to see what they meant by the word sow. And I was surprised what the word meant. But honestly, I was surprised. Because whenever we read there, go out and sow the seed, it means that you have to go out, you have to dig the ground, 
You have to prepare the ground. You have to turn the ground over. You have to sow the seed. You have to look after the seed for all the time it's in the ground. You have to water it. You have to fertilize it. You have to be ready. And you have to be there to do the harvesting at the end of it all. And whenever he said sow the seed, he meant from the time the seed goes into the ground to the time you cut it and and harvest it. That's what he meant by sowing. It wasn't just go out and throw it across the street and come in and say you've finished. There was more to it than that. Friends, you've got the seed. You have to prepare the ground. You have to sow it. You have to look after it. And you have to be there for the harvest. That's part of the sowing. You know, Joseph is not only giving them the seed... He's telling them what to do with it. And he's also doing something else. He's telling them it's going to be fruitful. Because he says in that next verse, 24, and it shall come to pass in the increase. Brothers and sisters, you sow the seed for the kingdom. It'll increase. If it doesn't, God's word's not true. And I believe it is. but there's something about that I want you to catch it on if you would have been there and if you would have been listening to these stories seven years had went past and there was nothing had grown a complete and utter famine and there was nothing growing The first year was over, you got up, you thought the second year was going to be better, but it wasn't. The second year was over, the third year come, but there's nothing better. The third year was over, the fourth year was nothing better. And it goes on right down the seventh year. And it comes to the end of the seventh year, and somebody gives you a bag of seed. He says, I'll wait out and sow that, it's going to grow next year. You say, well, it didn't grow the last six years. What makes next year different? Anybody at all in their right mind would have said, I'm going to hold on to this in case it doesn't grow next year, I'll still have some left. They would have said, it's maybe only a story they're telling us. It mightn't really work. Joseph says, go out and sow it, it's going to work. But how do I know it's going to work? Isn't there an awful lot of people who miss out in God because they're not prepared to walk by faith? They think because it happened last year, it's going to happen again. And they think because it never happened before, it's going to keep on never happening. And they get that old seed into their being, and they get that old ritual into their being that didn't happen this last seven years, and it's never going to happen again. I'm not going to chance it again. I'm not going to step out again in case it doesn't happen again. And they hold on to the old thing, and they bury the seed in the cupboard, and it never grows. Friends, it's time to sow the seed. And sow it in faith. And believe it's going to come again. What are you doing with the seed that you have in your heart for God? You know what the old book says? Cast your bread upon the water, it will return. Do you know what the psalmist said? He that goeth forth weeping, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again, bringing sheaves with him. I don't care how many times it has failed in the past. I don't care how many times you were disappointed. Step out again in faith. 
Okay, seven years has passed, but next year's another one. Friend, are you prepared to step out in faith with God? <clears throat> you know, there comes a time in life, especially the life of a believer, when we have to let go our own ideas. There comes a time in life whenever we have to let go our own fears. There comes a time in life whenever we have to bypass our worries. There comes a time in life whenever we have to quit thinking it never worked before so it mightn't work again. There comes a time whenever we have to pass all that and put the doubts behind us and start believing God. But I ask you today, step out in the promises of God. They'll never fail. There might have been seven years of nothing, but there's coming a great harvest day for God. What a day. Where are you with God? Standing on the promises of Christ my King. Through eternal ages let their presence ring. They'll never fail. <clears throat> you know, he also gives us a reason why we have to sow the seed. And I think it's interesting to get this. <clears throat> Very interesting to get it. In verse 24, it came to pass, it shall come to pass in the increase that she shall give a fifth part unto Pharaoh. There's going to be five parts to this increase. Listen to the rest of it. Four parts shall be for your own. One part shall be, well, four parts shall be to you. One part to Pharaoh. The seed of the field. Uh, one part for the seed for the field for sowing again. One part for your food. One part for your household. And one part for your little ones. Now, if you sit down and have you ponder over what that means. Verse 24. There's one part of the seed you're going to keep so that you can sow for another year. There's one part of the seed that you're going to keep for your food. There's one part that you're going to keep to feed your household. And there's one part you're going to keep for to feed your little ones. Do you know what would happen if you didn't sow the seed? Number one, you have no food. Number two, you have no seed to sow. Number three, you have no food for your household. And number four, you have no food for your children. What are you going to feed your grandchildren on? What are you going to feed your little ones on? What are you going to sow for your food for next year? If you don't sow the seed of the gospel, we've lost it. That's me at the end of my notes. <clears throat> but as I was pondering this, I thought, <clears throat> 18 and 59 seen a mighty revival in this country. Hundreds and thousands were saved. Where are they today? Where is the results of it? Churches were filled. Mission halls was busting at the doors. 
The power of God was here, was thriving, was moving in the middle of it all. It was a wonderful outpouring of the Spirit of God. But today, half of the mission halls is closed. The other half's getting ready for closing. And some of the churches is half empty. Why are they like it? Because they got saved and they never showed it. And they quit preaching the power of Christ. And they quit preaching that they could be redeemed by sovereign grace. And they quit preaching about the mighty power of the risen Savior. And they quit preaching about the wonderful things we have in Christ. And they watered it all down while theories of this and theories of that. And now the whole thing is nothing, only a theory. Chaps, we've got the seed. You saw it. And if you don't saw it, what happens to your children? What happens to your grandchildren? I even put it another way. If you don't do it, what happens to you? Because a man that's not feasting in that old word of God from day to day, he soon dries up and wizens up himself. We need to sow the seed to keep ourselves going with God. We need to sow the seed to keep our families going. We need to sow the seed to keep our households going. We need to sow the seed to keep our grandchildren going. Brothers and sisters in Christ, sow the seed. Don't water it down. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, and if I don't switch it on, we'll walk in darkness. 